Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get started. We're going to look at chapters 55 through 66 of Isaiah, hopefully finishing the book tonight. It's a lot of chapters uh, to go through and you know do any justice to, but we're looking for is just some eschatological idea, ideas, some promises, some some intentions that God has. Uh, I, I would like to you know slow down, trying to make sense about it. You know, I want things to be very linear, just go from point A to point B. Here's the beginning. There's the end. And it looks sometimes when we're looking at this, and then you can, you know, like always, as you read through this, and we, we skip through this, you can make some decisions. But again, it kind of seems like it's, it's kind of like it goes forward, and you establish some things. For example, man is sinful, and there's going to be a Savior, okay? And now we've read about the Savior coming in chapter 53 very clearly, uh, Israel being sent off into dispersion. And then when, after the Savior, then Israel will return. There'll be a restoration of Israel, restoration of Israel. And then we, okay, so then we expect, you know, the end of some more, but then all of a sudden we're, we're back here talking about how sinful Israel is. And then we're talking about the Savior coming, but also saving the Gentiles and the nations. And then after the nations are saved and Israel will be restored. But Oh, wait, just a minute. We need to mention the fact that Israel is very sinful again. It's like, and then we're talking about how the nations are all going to be coming back and then you know, it's like, so I'm looking for this. You know, we've already said there's man is sinful. We've already said Israel is sinful. We've already said Israel is going into captivity. We've already said the nation is going to be saved. We've already said there's going to be a savior that's going to come and he's going to redeem mankind around the nations. And then he's going to come and judge and bring wrath upon the earth. Uh, this is how I teach. But this is, again, it, I don't want, I'm not trying to make it look confusing, but it's like, Sometimes we're cycling back. It's like I, I thought we've already said that I want to move forward, but we come back and cycle back through it. It appears as we look at this because many of these things, well, in fact, all of these things that we put out here in this linear uh, diagram there has already been established. Even in the book of Isaiah, we already know that's taken place. Then we come back and we get some more insight into it. And again, why, why it's like that, maybe it's you know, that's the Eastern mind or the ancient mind. Maybe it's God's mind. Maybe it's he's, he's, he's redeveloping some things, adding things to it. Maybe we know this much. Uh, and so as I read this, you know, I want to make it very, very clear. And on my notes, I've written these things down in these chapters. Uh, I wrote these things down, and we'll see how they go. We'll be in chapter 55, uh, going up to like 56. 55 is going to be, you know, come all, anyone can come. So it's going to be like, you know, that's, I think, talking about faith. You know, come by without money. Uh, I'll, I'll, it, it's, it's available. You just come and ask for it. And that would be faith. That would be salvation. Uh, 56 is going to start talking about the nations or the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are going to be saved. There's going to be, a, you know, a, a large group of Gentiles coming in. And then 57 through 58, we're going to talk about Israel. There's going to be some talk about sin and how bad people are, and God's like rehashing all the evil, and it's like maybe, again, pointing out there's no hope. You know, there's no hope for mankind. You're, you're not going to make it. Even though you're trying, uh, you're a bunch of losers. You know, that's the way, you know, whatever, that's the way it presents it there. Um, but even though man continues to sin, now when you talk about this sinfulness, is he talking specifically about Israel or talking about mankind? Is he talking about the nations? You know, you can kind of read things into it. But then the kind of the point of chapter 59 or these chapters is no matter how bad man is, still there will the Savior is going to come. God is still going to bring salvation. Even even though there, there's wickedness and sin, you can't count on Israel, you can't count on the nations, everyone's going their own way. God, and it's like, oh, well, we didn't know that. We, we already have established that. But he's going to make that very clear. The Savior is going to come. Uh, and then 60, we're going to talk about the glory that will come to Israel. Because Israel, sometimes in here you start thinking maybe this is all going to just bypass Israel and go right to the nations or right into some eternity. Then all of a sudden it starts talking about the glory and talking about Israel being restored again and all the great future that Israel has. And Israel's never had that great future. It's not like Isaiah's talking about the return from Babylon or talking about the days when Jesus comes. Uh, as far as the great glory of Israel, it seems to be talking about a distant day that has never fully manifested. So that would seem to take place yet. In 61, you're going to be able to see the second coming, but actually even, you're going to see even Jesus quoted some of those verses in the first coming. And then he's going to all of a sudden start talking about the second coming. So in the same poetic phrasing, 
uh, it's clearly talking about Jesus coming the first time, uh, bringing you know the light, bringing the hope, bringing the good news. Then all of a sudden, he's going to talk about the vengeance. So he read it this part, you know, in Capernaum, and then the second part seems to be yet so yet in the future. So those those that verse is actually separated by two thousand years so far as time goes on. That's sixty one talking about the Messiah and the second coming, uh, going on into 63, chapter 63. Uh, you're going to have there, you're going to have some, and 63 through 64, you're going to have the victorious conquering Christ returning. And that's going to tie into some of what we're actually looking for, the return of Christ and the battles and you know his, his setting up his kingdom. And then 65 and 66, uh, it, it uh, ends up talking about you know, the, the rewards, the judgments, the eternal state. And the book ends, again, I'm just, you know, speaking from, for myself. It's like, it ends with, well, well, let's just look at it. I mean, how do you, here's how the book ends. Just read. Here, here's how the book ends. Uh, chapter 66, verse 22, the end of the book of Isaiah. We did all this, and here's how it ends. Verse 22 of Isaiah 66. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me. Again, what's the new heavens and the new earth? Is that renewed earth? Or is that this earth is going to burn up and there's a brand new universe that he creates? And again, you, you can say, I've got, I believe this, I believe that. But it's hard to you know, be dogmatic and say you're a heretic if you disagree with that. But it talks about a new heaven, a new earth. And I, I consider it both ways, possibly. You know, maybe this is going to be restored and in a restored universe, you know, because that word has that meaning. Or it does this whole universe, this temporal is going to be passed away and there'll be a, a new universe. And, and what's that look like? And again, we, there's going to be other verses we'll add to that in Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, Revelation. But anyway, as the new heavens and new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. Now there you've got, you're going to see throughout this, the, the religious holidays of the Jews seem to be enforced through the ages, and yet they've passed away, but yet there they are. And that's another confusing thing. It's like, are they, are they passed away, or are they memorial? I mean, it's like sometimes they're gone, sometimes they're there, but they're definitely not, you know, a sacrifice because Christ fulfilled it, so there must be a memorial. So it's just, you know, even in Ezekiel, it talks about the temple being restored uh, in the millennium, and Jesus sitting in the temple while they bring sacrifices. It's like, Wait a minute, what, what, what does he make? So they're bringing sacrifices while Jesus is sitting on the throne? It's like, well, those are memorial sacrifices. You know, or they can't be actual What's going on? And so you, you have like this, you got some questions. There. But then here it is. Uh, from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me. Okay, that makes sense. Wherever it's at, if it's on earth, if it's in the new heaven and new earth, if it's in heaven, wherever it's at, they're going to come and bow before Jesus. And verse 24, now here it is. Here's the end of the book. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they'll be a loathsome to all mankind. What? what? That, that, it's like so we're, we're worshiping God, we're going to see God, and on your way, you can stop by and look down here into this pit, into the, the Hinnom Valley, into to the lake of fire, and there's everybody who rails. Look at them. Yep, look at them screaming. Man, they're miserable. Worms are eating them. They're in fire. Man, that's what you get for rebelling against the Lord. Holy be your name. You deserve that. Well, what is that? I mean, it's like, uh, you know, and that's, and that's like, and then Isaiah explains it by saying nothing. And so that's the end of the book, you know. So, you know, that, that's, that's just, you know, I, I would consider it, and I, and I'm not mocking the word of God, but it's like as a teacher, it's like, that, that's kind of final. And we're in the final state. You got rewards. You got people in eternity. You got people worshiping God. But you also have a very huge statement. You're not getting out of this. You're either going to be worshiping the Lord or you're going to be suffering because you rebelled against the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord is everything. Are you going to worship Him or rebel against Him? Because your worship will continue forever or your rebellion and judgment will continue forever. It's like that must be the point. You know? So, anyway, with that being said, this is kind of where we're heading as we go through this. And of course, I can't read verse by verse through all of these. Um, and some of it, I don't want to say it becomes redundant. That's not the word I'm looking for. But for tonight's study, uh, it, we'd have to stop and explain it. And so this is kind of a general overview. But what we're looking for is just some eschatological references.
that ties into the things we've already seen, but also lays a foundation for some things that we'll look at uh, in the future as we put this together. So chapter 55, very quickly, chapter 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you will have you, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. Now, that sounds like wisdom in Proverbs. Listen, listen to me. Come, buy from me. And again, the idea there is you're buying something of eternal value, something that of lasting value, but you don't need money. And it's like, it appears you just have to come and and buy it, but you don't need money to buy it. What, what do you mean buy it? I mean, almost like come take it. You know, ask and you will receive. Or it's going to be faith. You're looking for something. You will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus, they will be filled. And, and that's kind of the idea here. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear. There it is. Give ear and come to me. Hear me and your soul may live. Or that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Now, what is it? I will make an everlasting covenant. What everlasting covenant is that? You've got the Davidic covenant. You've got the Abrahamic covenant. You've got the Mosaic covenant. Jeremiah in chapter 31 coming up in the next book is going to be talking about the new covenant. What is this everlasting covenant? You're going to come. He's going to make an everlasting covenant with you. Uh, it, it's, it appears it would have to be a new covenant. He's going to make this covenant. It hasn't been made already. So almost maybe on an individual basis, you're being invited individually to come. Is this individual salvation? Come. You know, when Jesus calls them, he talks about coming and drinking. He says, you know, all, you know, all who are called. He makes this individual. That's where it becomes very individual. And not just the nation of Israel, but individuals are being called and responding. Is that what we're talking about here? Um, it says, uh, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Okay, is he making the Davidic covenant with you? Are you going to be a king? Or is he referring to the king that's coming from David? I have made him a witness to the peoples. In other words, he, David, heard this covenant, and he knows it's good, it's solid. A, 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 a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the peoples. Now he's talking about David. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you. So now we're not talking about Israel now. Now what's happening with Israel, if it is happening with Israel, we're now branching out to the nations this all of a sudden. Again, so we've gone from an individual call to King David to the nation of Israel or someone who's working here going to the nations with this message, and they're all being called to partake of this. Uh, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations who do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Now, is that Israel being endowed with splendor, or is this the Messiah Who's drawing all people? And Jesus told Nicodemus, if the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all people towards him. And again, when Jesus talks, you know, he's, he's the Son of God. He's eternal God. He can, he can speak for himself. He can say things that have never been said before. He can bring revelation right out of, you know, out, right out of his heart. This has never been said before, but I'm telling you now. But many times Jesus is saying things like, what's he saying? He's saying the same thing that we've already read. He's just packaging it different and making it more precise. So many of these things, Jesus is going to say, he's just summing up some of the doctrines that are said in the, in the, in the prophets. Uh, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. This is always good advice, meaning there's a day coming when you won't be able to find him. Call on him while he is near. So there's a time when he's near and he's reaching for you. There's a time where he's turned his back and walked away. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. So now what are you doing? Are you bringing sacrifices? No, you're just saying, I don't want to go this way anymore. I want to go in this new way. I'm forsaking my way and you're, you're freely pardoned. I mean, it sounds like salvation through faith in Christ. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways or your ways my ways. Very clearly separating you may have a human way of doing it, a, a man's way of thinking and setting up a system to get to God. God says, forget that. I'm just going to offer it to you. If you want it, come take it. I don't think like you think. As the heavens are higher than the earth. Now, this is a huge thing to remember, and you know this, but it's, it's important. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. A lot of the things that we think, even as we're putting forth our best effort, our, our best integrity, we come up with this best plan. It's like you're not even close because God's ways, it's best to just get the revelation. What does God want? I mean, we're not going to you know, build a stairway to heaven. I mean, it wouldn't make it. It would be too short. You can't, the Tower of Babel won't make it. 
what is he offering you from heaven? And that would be, you know, through Jesus Christ. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As, you know, this is a great verse right here, verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. In other words, just like water comes down out of the heavens, it waters the crops, it waters the ground, the crops grow. You can eat the fruit, you can plant the seed and get another harvest. So part of it you eat, part of it you plant, and plant, you know, it grows again. That is the same thing. He says the rain is an illustration of the word, my truth. When I speak, it's going to water you. You're going you're gonna to grow, you're going to take some of it, you're also going to plant it and it's going to continue to grow. And so he says, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And that's why I think I can go back to the beginning of this chapter. Come by, which, you know, without money. Just hear my word. Hear this word. I'm going to give it to you. Listen, open your ears. Hear this. It's going to change your life. Thus, you know, the, the, the power of the word of God, the revealed word of God. You will go out in joy after you receive this. And be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills will burst in the song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the, the myrtle will grow. So now we go back to Genesis where, you know, there, because of the, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's going to be thorns and thistles. Now this, is a, I would say, a clear reversal of that. Again, you can debate that. But in now instead of thorns and briars, they're going to be replaced with pine trees. And we're not talking about little, little trees. We're talking about giant trees. And, uh, and myrtle trees will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. In other words, this is part of that new earth that's coming. It's going to be forever so that you know the Lord has done a work. Mankind messed it up and it turned to thorns and thistles. God is going to do a work. Take it, something's going to take place between the thorns and thistles and the trees that replace it in this new kingdom. Of course, that's going to be the Savior is going to come. So anyway, you can partake of this if you'll hear the word, if you'll hear this truth. Don't go to your own understanding. Don't join a religious system. Don't try and figure out how you're going to make God happy. You can only receive what he's offering to be restored. What you rejected in the beginning, like saints said, did God really say? And then you start doubting it. Receive that truth. Turn away from your wickedness and receive it. Okay, verse chapter 56. Now, this we're going into here, the nations and Gentiles. Now, whoever he was talking to here, if it was individuals, if it was Israel, if it's just an overall call of faith or the word coming and receiving, uh, he's now going to talk in first chapter, verse chapter 56, the nations. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the man who holds it fast. Now, what he's calling for right there is while you're waiting for this day he's just talked about, is you know what's right. You've heard the word. You know what's right. You maintain. You keep doing what's right. Kind of like what we're supposed to do at this age, in the church age. We've been born again, but now we begin to renew our minds and do righteousness. Do the things that God's called you to do. And then we get this verse. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. So I can understand that doing evil, but there's the Sabbath right there. That's a Jewish law, never referred to for the Gentiles, but yet there it is. Now, in Hebrews, I think it makes it clear. It takes the Sabbath, and that Sabbath is a rest in the Lord. It's not a holiday. It's not a weekday that you are, you know, in the, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. It's resting in Christ. Joshua is told to enter the rest, and they never entered the rest. You only entered by faith. And the Hebrews writer says, that some today can enter that, that they missed it. David calls his generation to enter the rest. The writer of Hebrews is saying, enter the rest. So Joshua, David, and the writer of Hebrews were all talking about entering this rest of resting in Christ, of trusting, in a sense, the word in chapter 55. But yet there it says Sabbath. Is, are we talking about actual religious observation of a day? I mean, there it is. Okay. Of course, this is the Old Testament, but now... Look in verse 3. We're not talking to Israel. We're talking to Gentiles. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. 
So that right there, a foreigner, that's a Gentile, that's, that's, that's one of the nations, who has bound himself to the Lord. Bound would indicate some kind of a covenant. They've joined the covenant. God has made the covenant with them. They've walked away from their ways of wickedness. They've joined with the Lord. And they say, surely, because I'm not an Israelite, I will not be included in the people of God. He says, no, no, don't, don't say that. That is not, that's not what we're talking about. not talking about the people of God and everyone else. If you join yourself to the Lord, you are a person of the Lord. This is Isaiah writing. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. That would be someone that does not have children. And again, they've, they've had some kind of situation, castrated or something, where they've been made eunuchs, and they, 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 they have no sexual ability. And they say, I am only a dry tree. Don't say that. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me. Now, again, when eunuchs, are we talking about people that are actually, they can't produce children? Or are we talking about someone who has been cut off from the people of God? They're just a dry tree. And now they're going to choose God. Uh, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant. Is that the Mosaic covenant? Or is that, it, it would, that would be a good suggestion. Or is that this new covenant you're coming to in the Lord in this, this, this offer of, of coming without money and just by faith accepting his word? To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. There's something more valuable than sons and daughters. That is to be in this kingdom, in this temple, you'll have a memorial. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord. There it says it a second time. Now here's a list. There's actually a list right here. Who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him. So far it's, it's all sounds like something the church could do. Church age material. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it. Well, there you're into, you know, the law. And who hold fast to my covenant. Again, which covenant? The covenant of Moses? Maybe. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. There is the burnt offerings. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now remember Jesus referred to this when he turned the tables over. He said, you turn it into a, a den of thieves. You're buying and selling and mis, mis, uh, miscalculating the payments that people are making just to make money. And you're supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. You're supposed to be welcoming them, not ripping them off. So again, there's those verses. This is, again, his intention in the future. So you see Jesus kind of addressing some of these things in his first time when he came, but they're going to be fulfilled later on. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So as we've been reading this, the Sovereign Lord declares, He, the one who gathers the exiles, in other words, he's the one who's going to go out and gather the exiles of Israel. After all this is done, after the Savior's come, he's going to go get the exiles and bring them back. Not because of anything they've done, but it's time for them to come back in their Lord. It says, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So in other words, there's going to be a time now where nations are going to come to God or come to the Lord. And then there's going to be a time where Israel's going to be regathered. And after Israel's regathered, there's still going to be another more gathering of more Gentiles. So... As you look at this, it's possible, as I read ahead and overlap this, there's going to be the church. The church, you know, the, the apostles are going to go to the church. They're going to go through their time period. Israel is going to be brought back out of their dispersion that started in 722. They're going to be restored with the second coming. And then from there, they're going to go off, and even more Gentiles and nations are going to be brought back or brought to the Lord. And you can see this. You watch for this in the rest of the prophets of once the Lord is in the temple, once Israel has come back to him and they're, they're, the kingdom is set up, their nations are going to come. Now, who are these nations? Again, you know this from other teachings. I don't want to rush too far into this, but just watch this. Because if we do have this timeline right here, here's the 70th week, there is going to be a rapture. I think that's pretty solid. Now, if it's pre-trib, mid-trib, whenever it is, there's going to be the removal of the church. This church is the people of the church age. It's the Jews and Gentiles, those who had faith in Christ. And then Jesus is going to come back. He's going to meet the Jews who at some point in here, I think at the sign of the Son of Man, I think at the time of the rapture when they see him, at some point, the Jews, Israel is going to see the one they pierced. 
and mourn and turn to him. They're going to recognize the Antichrist wasn't the, the Messiah. The one that just raptured the, raptured the church, that's the Messiah. And they're still looking. And so they're going to go into the hiding. We talked about that yesterday, probably somewhere in Moab, Ammon. It would be Jordan and Edom, you know, Jordan and Saudi Arabia, which again, those peace treaties are interesting today. Uh, the Jews then will turn to him and join him. And then when the kingdom is established, there's going to be people that will have lived through this tribulation, this whole time period here. They will have been hiding. They, they will not have gotten raptured. They will not be Jews. They'll not have received the mark of the beast. They'll somehow have survived this, maybe becoming believers at the rapture or from the Jews. There'll be believers that will live into this. Or nations, when they talk about the nations rebelling and the nations marching uh, on, on the Jews or in Jerusalem, that doesn't mean every last person. Again, imagine this. Uh, any kind of a war that you've got the war, uh, the, the armies, the leaders, the government, maybe it collapses. They're destroyed. They have to sign peace treaties or give up land or they're executed. But then you go back. There's still an entire nation that's left. They've still got people, houses, people that didn't fight in the war. They're just neutral. Like think about even today in our culture, if we went to war against anybody, not everybody in America would be like, in the war and not everybody in america would be like on in favor of the war obviously we you know whatever trump does half the nation is going to say that's terrible you know and he switches mind well that's terrible too i mean there's always going to be division so when the antichrist starts marching and the nations start joining him or fighting against him there's going to be some people that either are oblivious to what's going on or they're not partaking in it and they may be left so when jesus returns with his resurrected church the jews join him in jerusalem there's going to be other people that are still in the nations that history has to finish they have to be brought in they have to be reached and watch for that in this again you don't have to accept that you could have the blanket statement that boom everybody's already made a decision but it says the nations are going to be brought into the valley of this the valley of jehoshaphat that's coming up in some of the book the prophets they're brought into the valley of jehoshaphat where they're asked to make a decision some of them are executed, some are brought into the kingdom, but they're going to be brought in after Jesus even tells the parable. While when the king is seated in his glory, they'll be brought before him. And he'll, he'll ask him, he'll ask him, you know, uh, what did you do? So anyway, keep that in mind when we read about this right here. Um, in verse, I'm in chapter 56, verse 8. Now, that, I'm not giving you an answer. I'm just saying, do you see that pattern? And other verses can explain it or, you know, maybe put detail on it. Or make it an impossible suggestion as we go. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 56. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Now again, are they gathering more Israelites from the nations? That could be. Or others have joined the Lord of the church or during this tribulation. And now after they've been brought in and restored, even others are going to be gathered. We're going to see some people go out and preach here in a minute. Verse 9. Come, all you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Now, now, now watch. Watch this huge switch. This goes negative. Now he's inviting the beasts to come in. Remember, talk about beasts. This, can be, this could be animals. It could be crime. In, in some type, historical settings, the beast represents crime or people that are out of control, revolts and rebellions and protests, peaceful protests, of course, in the streets. These would be the, often the beasts where, where crime is rampant. Or it could actually be animals. Come all you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Watch, verse 10, Israel's watchmen are blind. Now these watchmen are going to be the prophets or the priests, the people that are supposed to be warning them, teaching them. But they're blind. They all lack knowledge. They're the watchmen. But they, they don't know what they're talking about. They are all mute dogs, which means they're not barking at danger. They're just silent, looking for a treat. They cannot bark. They now listen, there you have it. If you're a good watchman, you're not blind, you're alert. You can see you've got knowledge and you're barking and making noise. Now, if you're mute, not barking, uh, you may be because you don't know what's going on and you're blind. You're just drunk in the world. Well, these people are. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with a mighty appetite. So they're not just not doing their job. They're consuming something. They never have enough. They're gluttons. 
They are, they are shepherds who lack understanding. Now these dogs are the shepherds. They're watchmen. They're dogs. They're supposed to be barking alert. They're supposed to be shepherds guiding the people. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Well, there, there it is. Why aren't they barking? As long as you're throwing them a treat, as long as they're getting what they need, everything is fine. Don't change the system. This would be an example. Not, this is not necessarily talking about Jesus' day, but Jesus' day would be an example of it. Why did they not respond to G? What more could Jesus have done? They didn't want to change the system. The system was working. Call it the deep state. Don't touch anything. Everything's working. We're on the gravy train. We're going to take this and fix it. Don't fix anything because we're living off the gravy train. And that's what these are. They're supposed to be watchmen. They're supposed to be barking. They're supposed to be alert. They're supposed to be shepherds. But it's like, this is too easy. We don't want to change anything. They all turn to their own way. They each seek their own gain. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. We're not going to change the system. It's going to be like this forever. We're just going to keep building this thing and working it. No one knows what we're doing. That's the religious system that apparently is talking about Israel that Isaiah is addressing or that he's looking at. Verse 57, the righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away and no one understands it. So you've got this corrupt leadership, but all these righteous people that are actually barking or actually doing something or trying to make a change. It's like, where'd they go? He's just this. He used to used to stand out here and preach or he used to be over here, had a talk show or it's like, where'd they go? The righteous are disappearing. What what could be going on? (laughs) Well, uh, the dogs are taking him out. And no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands. The righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Now, the reason they're being taken away is judgment is coming, and God's allowing them to be removed, whatever the reason is, so that, like, for example, Josiah would be an example. He went off to war, but he was told, even hold of the prophets, when he saw the scroll and realized how far Israel was behind and how much trouble they were in, he mourned, and Holda says, no, this destruction's coming, but the good news is you're going to die before it happens. Well, he died at the age of 40 in battle at a young age, but the advantage was he died and was gone before all this destruction came. So again, it's like, what? That's not good. Well, think about it. You want to you die and escape the judgment, or you want to live into the judgment? They're being said, uh, they're being spared the evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. In other words, they're saying this is a good thing. Now, beginning in verse 3, going up to verse 11, or yeah, 10, this is all negative. This is all negative stuff. Uh, it's probably talking about Israel, uh, potentially. I mean, you've got to decide who is he talking to. We just identified the leadership, and the leadership uh, is different than the righteous. The righteous are being taken away. The leadership continues, and here we go, the, the corrupt leadership. But you, come here, you sons of sorcerers, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Whom are you mocking? At whom are, do you sneer and stick your tongue, stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels and offspring of liars? And they're mocking maybe Isaiah. This may be contemporary. Isaiah may be preaching their mock. We can see this earlier in the book where Isaiah is being mocked. Uh, and they are so wise. Are, are you not a brood of rebels? You burn with lust among the oaks. That'd be talking about their sacrificial systems and their, and their, the orgies they're having in their, their phallic cults. And under their ever spread, every spreading tree, you sacrifice your children in the ravines. There's human sacrifice, probably in the Hinnom Valley, if it's in Isaiah's day. And under the overhanging crags. That would, that would fit perfectly with the Hinnom Valley, where they'd be offering sacrifices. The idols among the smooth stones and the ravines are your portion. Now, again, we could read on all this. Look in verse 9. You went to Molech uh, uh, the, with olive oil and increased your perfumes. Go all the way through and talk about all these things here. This, the wickedness they're having. So now, again, we've, we, we've gone back, and now we're talking about how wicked Israel is. Uh, jumping into verse 11. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me? And have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your heart. It is not because I have have long been silent that you have. Okay, excuse me. Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works, and they will not benefit you. Now they've got their own righteousness, their own works, and God says, "I'm going to reveal that, and it's not going to benefit you." It's interesting that He says, 
Is, is it not because I've long been, I've, I've just been silent and let you go and make your own decisions and you've gone off track? When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. You can't get away from that, I don't think. The one who stays faithful to God and is righteous will possess the land. What is the land? The land is always Israel, the, the land promised to Abraham. And again, the, the holy mountain is always Mount Moriah. And so, in other words, there's going to be some removed. And, but these guys will inherit. There's going to be some that make it through it. And it will be said, build up, build up, and prepare a road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. So there you've got, again, the contrast, the wickedness, and those who are staying faithful to God. Preparing a road for them. For this is what the high and, for this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. This is important, possibly. I live in a high and holy place but also with him who is contrite. So he is in heaven, but he's also with the one who is, law, is, uh, uh, with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse forever. In other words, he's got a plan of salvation. He's just been accusing them, but those who are trying to flee this wickedness, who want to change, he says, I'm also dwelling there. Nor will I always be angry. For when, for then the spirit of man would grow faint before me, the breath of man that I have created. I've created man, but if my anger stays with him, I'll just, I'll just destroy him. There'll be nothing left of man. I've got to do something except be angry with man. I'm going to have to, well, I can call him, but he's not going to respond. I can try to lead him, but he's not going to respond. We're going to have to send a savior. Um, I was enraged by his sinful greed. Now, again, it appears he's talking about mankind in general. Again, we're talking about Israel. Now we're talking about mankind in general. I punished him and hid my face in anger, yet he kept on in his willful ways. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. See that? I have seen his ways. There's nothing good in him, but I will heal him. Now that's, that's important. That is God bringing salvation. It's not man working out salvation and cleaning up his act. It's God saying, there's nothing. I've watched him. I'm angry at him. But he's going to be, as, as if my anger is last forever, man's sinfulness is going to last not forever, but until he just wears out, because man is temporal. So I've got to heal him to appease my own anger, thus the need for the Savior. So, I mean, we've already talked about this in other chapters, about the Savior coming, but here he's saying it again. Um, I, verse 18, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him, creating praise on his lips of the mourners in Israel. So now it clearly says he's talking to Israel, but notice what he says, guide him, restore him, comfort, creating praise. I'm going to have to do this. I've got to change the heart of the man or the heart of Israel so he'll do what I want him to do or even what man wants to do. I mean, you can say, I want to be righteous, but you're not going to be because, well, I just said earlier, show me your righteousness and I'm going to expose it's not even righteousness. Um, peace, peace to those who are far and near. Now, again, far and near most likely means far is the Gentiles. Near are the Israelites. The Israelites are near because they are right there with the word. Those who are far away are those who are far from Israel and don't have the revealed word. Um, peace, peace to those who are far and near, says Lord, and I will heal them. Again, not just Israel, but even those who are far. All of these are crucial verses for Paul's ministry. All these are crucial verses for the early church, when they're trying to decide, what do we do with the Gentiles? Well, God's been planning on going to the Gentiles from the beginning. Uh, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Now, chapter 58 and 59, uh, we're continuing with the sin right here. Shout aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For the day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and, ha and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me uh, for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have they fasted, they say? Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting 
ends in quarreling and strife. In other words, the, he says, they, they, they give me this appearance. God, we want you to do something for us, so we're trying to meet these requirements. But really, you're just fasting on the surface, but you still have this underlying sin nature. It's doing no good. And he just goes through here and exposes all their wickedness in chapter 58. Now, is that, that just continues. I mean, chapter 57, 58, there, there's no hope unless there's going to be a Savior. Chapter 59, surely, and after all these negative things, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Even in this drastic condition that's portrayed in 57 and 58, there's no hope. Surely the arm of the Lord, and the arm of the Lord is going to refer to his strength. He's going to refer to the work of salvation. He's going to roll up his... He created the universe with his fingers, but when it comes to salvation, it talks about him rolling up his sleeve, exposing his arm, and working salvation. So the creation is his fingers, but his arm, he needs his arm for salvation. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, throughout Scripture, there's a clear distinction. The works of his hands, the works of his fingers, but when it goes to his arm, we're talking about something bigger than creation. We're talking about salvation of man. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. In other words, I can reach you. I can hear you, but you just keep running further away. You're, you don't even want to come. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads his case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and speak lies. And this continues all the way up through, say, chapter, uh, chapter or verse 15. Just, there's nothing. Now, they, we're not talking about, in a sense, those evil people. We're talking about us, mankind. I mean, it's like, we say, well, you know, compared to, right, but compared to what God has intended and what God is doing, we, we can't get past our own sinful nature, our own selfish motives. Okay, so we go up to verse 14 as we wrap up this section here. So justice is driven back because of you. And, uh, you know, if it's Israel, if it's the nations, if it's people in the old days, ancient days, if it's us today without Christ, and even with Christ, we still need Christ continually cleansing us. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. Does that feel familiar? And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. Now, what has taken place here, you've got all this history going up to 700 B.C., and even continuing after that, of God watching, and men trying different things, God giving them different plans. You've got to have the plan of the Exodus. You're going to have the plan with the Mosaic Covenant. You're going to have the plan with the kings. You're going to have the king of Judah, the king of Israel. You're going to have all these plans and they're never going to work. So ultimately now, there, there's nothing going to work. There's no one can fix this. And they, you need more time? Keep trying. And that's one of the things mankind is doing. There's enough things. Even the church, even the church, I mean church history. We've had 2,000 years of church history. And when has the church got it right? I mean, there's, it, you know, it may start, but it always, just go through church history. It always, even Constantine, you know, we could go through all kinds of stories with Constantine. But Constantine ends up his son's like we've mentioned the other night, killed all, everybody in his family. After Constantine died, he Christianized the nation, and then his sons wanted to be the emperor, so he killed everybody in the family except two people escaped. And then they fought with each other trying to become the emperor. So your first Christian emperors slaughter their family to maintain the power in the empire. It's like, go church. Finally, we've got a church leadership. It's like, and they killed everybody. Well, okay, let's try it again. And then his, it just continues on, just a wave of failure even in the church. Now, again, we are redeemed. Salvation is real. But when you give it to man and he makes it into an institution, it's going to do exactly what Israel did. They're going to turn it into their own gain somehow for temporal gain. It's, it's, it's a cycle. It's where we're stuck at. So it's up thus verse 16. He saw there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. If it would be David or the prophets or the nations or somebody. So his own arm worked salvation for him. He did the work for himself. And his own righteousness sustained him. He, now here's the armor of God. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. 
and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped his feet fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Here, his garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So again, we, we are armed with the armor of God, but our feet were fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace. His, as we go through this, he's going to be armed with, with feet of brass to trample. And by the end of Isaiah, he's trampling his enemies. We don't, we get the arm, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, but we don't get the feet of brass to trample the enemies. He'll keep that for himself. Instead, our feet are shod with the preparation of the, the preparation of the word, the word of, of salvation. So again, that's interesting. There's something we, we can unleash, righteousness, we can do these things, but we don't have the right, we don't have the position, we don't have the insight to bring judgment. He will. But anyway, uh, the helmet of salvation on his head and he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. Now that's going to be a, a fierce thing to see when the Lord comes cloaked in zeal uh, to bring about his vengeance. He's not just bringing vengeance and wrath. He's fired up. He's like, I'm, he's been waiting for this. He's excited. It's like to bring judgment. It's like, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. <laughs> well, right. You should, you should read the Bible. According to what they have done, he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. So now we're not talking about the first coming. Like Jesus, when he came the first time, he, he didn't uh, 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 bend a broken, or what do you say, break a broken reed or bruise a reed. I mean, he was gentle. But when he comes back the second time, he's going to be terrifying. And so this now, all of a sudden, we're talking about the second coming, yet future. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He'll repay the islands their due. The islands does not refer to Israel. They refer to probably the western direction. Uh, the islands their due. From the west, men will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. So if you want to go west of Israel through the Mediterranean Sea over to the west, they'll recognize him going east through past Persia, going on into India, China, going to the eastern lands. They'll revere his name. Uh, from the rising of the sun, they'll revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood, like the breath of the Lord drives along. Like the breath of the Lord drives along. So in other words, it's, it's going to be a sweeping flood of vengeance. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And that's probably talking about a day coming where there's going to be a repentance, a national repentance. Zechariah talks about it. Paul refers to it. And he'll come to them, and then the glory will come from there. As for me, this is my covenant with them. Now, here, here, interesting. This is my covenant with them. What, what is this covenant? A, a Mosaic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says Lord, my spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children, or from the mouths of their descendants, from the time, from this time on and forever, says Lord. In other words, the Spirit will be up on you, and once it comes up on you, it's going to be with you forever. So again, talking to Israel as a nation, but this is something that Joel will pick up, and Peter refers to this in the, in the very first sermon on the, on the Mount of, uh, Temple Mount, uh, of the Spirit coming. This will be a sign of the, of the end times, is the Spirit coming on all flesh. Then that'll come up in Joel. Okay, now chapter 60, the glory for Israel. The chapter 60 is all about the glory for Israel. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Okay, that's Israel. They've been waiting for this light. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. This is talking to Israel. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples or the nations. That could be the sign of the Son of Man coming. They're all fleeing, if we want to put that into perspective. But yet, Israel... The glory now has come to you. You see the glory. There's national repentance. And it says a thick darkness over all the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, Israel. Again, I added Israel. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now that goes back to where we had over here where we had, you know, Israel has to come. And then the nations are in darkness. But after Israel's in the light, the nations will see that and come. Uh, there's going to be the time of, of judgment and wrath. It almost skips that right here in these verses, except the, there's darkness over it. But after that judgment has taken place, the nations that are left will start coming to Israel. We see that in Isaiah and other places. They're going to flock to hear the Lord teach. They're going to come to the glory that is in Israel. So there's 
the glory is going to rise on Israel first, and then the nations are going to come to see and learn from this. Lift up your eyes, I'm in verse 4, and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Now, that could be other Israelites that never had made it out of captivity. And your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Talking about Israel. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. This is what they've been waiting for. This is after the second coming. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. That's the wealth of the nations. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephra from Sheba. It goes on and talks about all the things that are going to take place um, in their land. Now go to verse 18 of chapter 6. This is the glory that's going to come on Israel. Now what did Israel do to get this glory? What happened was the Savior came paid for their sins, and then brought them back. I mean, he, they, they didn't all of a sudden get their act together. You understand? Throughout the, they did all of a sudden, okay, we just got to do it right this time. We've had thousands of years, hundreds of years of Israel and mankind failing, failing, failing. And God says, okay, I'll have to do this myself. I'll have to do the work myself. Now I've saved you. Now I'm bringing you back. And now you're going to get to enjoy the glory of the kingdom because I chose you and I saved you. Okay, verse 18 no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Now again, that sounds like some end of the book of Revelation. That sounds like the new heaven and the new earth, per se. Now, is this just the millennial kingdom? Again, I don't know the answer to this. I mean, I would like to say it's just the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Or is this like the way it is? It's going to be on earth forever. The Lord is going to come to the earth, and this is going to be the abode of God. Wherever God is, wherever the throne of God is, that's heaven. So it could be here in this new heaven. Again, I don't know the answer. Uh, for the and again, there's opinions, and I could argue different opinions, but this is one of those things where I don't want to just make a statement because I, I, I'm not I'm not sure. Nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will, will end. Then will all the people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. The land, the land of Israel. You really can't go to heaven and do that. They, will all, they are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. In other words, one of the things that take place with Israel and all that are saved is God's glory, his wisdom, his uh, uh, multifaceted wisdom is going to be revealed in these people. Because look who they are, look what they become. They're righteous. They're not just acting righteous. They have become righteous. How? Because the Lord made them righteous. Uh, The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. In other words, it's been a long time, but in its time, it's going to be, it'll be swift. 61. We've got a ways to go here. Now watch this. Now you're going to see the division. See if you can pick up the division in this. You recognize these verses from Jesus' first first time in, in, in Capernaum. The spirit, for one of his first messages. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Now this is clearly talking about Jesus because Jesus applied it to himself. I mean, you can try and dance around, do some other things with it. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the for and, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that right there is basically talking about sin. You can try and apply that to the broke. Your heart is broken. You've been taken captive. You in bondage to drugs or something. You can make all kinds of application. But this is saying. Sin. You've been taken. You've been broken by sin. You've been taken captive by sin. You are a prisoner of sin. You can't escape this. But I'm proclaiming this is the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord has come to rescue you now. This is that work of salvation where the armor of the Lord is going to be displayed. Notice this. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to say we are still in that year of the Lord's favor. We are still proclaiming freedom from sin. We look at the next verse. We're not even switching verses. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Ho, ho. It's like, this is the day of his favor and his vengeance. It's like, 
what he's done is, again, those are in the Bible. And here's his salvation. If you don't receive it, here's the vengeance. But what he has done, if I can illustrate, if I can say this, he's taken those. Here's the year of God's favor. And his vengeance is next, but we're going to separate it for 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years. like, how much time do you need to respond? And then, boom, here comes the day of vengeance is coming. And that is going to be the second. Here's the second coming. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for this, the display of his splendor. So in other words, we're going to have, you got the one, the, the, the proclaiming of the freedom, and then all of a sudden, we're, we're still in that age waiting for all these other things, the vengeance to come, and then the manifestation of all these good things, the beauty, the gladness, where we're actually existing at that state. Uh, Verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. Goes through and talks about the things they're going to do. Chapter 61. Uh, oh, there's many things here I want to keep going. Verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Now, chapter 62, where we got right here, is uh, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I'll not, I'll not remain quiet or silent. Uh, verse 6, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They'll never be silent day or night. And now you get some good watchmen. Um, Verse 11, the Lord has made a proclamation. I'm in chapter 62, verse 11. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Now that's very close to Revelation 22, 12. In fact, it's almost word for word. He's coming and his reward is with him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. Verse 63. Chapter 63. Now, this is indeed the second coming. Here it is. Ready? Now, again, it's like we, we're all talking about the, the glory years and how good it's going to be. Then we back up again and we take another shot at the second coming. So that you can see the second coming or the day of vengeance several times here. And it's not, I don't think it's different. It's just repeated and it comes back and says it again. And here it goes. Chapter 63, verse 1. Who is this coming from Edom? From Bosnia, Edom, south of the Sea of uh, Dead Sea, uh, it would be part of Jordan, part of Saudi Arabia today. From Basra, that's the capital, almost directly south of the Dead Sea, with his garments stained crimson. Remember the armor? You know, he put on his helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the vengeance, uh, with garments stained crimson. Now, again, when we see this, some would suggest, and it's a worthy suggestion, it must be the blood of the cross. Well, that was the first coming. This is the second coming. These are, this is not his garments. Well, right here. Who is this robed in splendor? Now, remember in Isaiah 53, it says, no splendor was seen. He came the first time with no splendor. It means Hadar. The Hebrew is Hadar. It means glory. Here, who is this? He, 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 he's dressed in splendor. He's robed. In, he, look, he looks like God. It's like exactly what we think God would look like. Well, it is. The first time it was God, but you couldn't see it. The second time... It is still as God, but you can see it. Who is this robe in splendor striding forward in greatness of his strength? It's like an interview question. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Well, why are your garments? This is a great, this is a great these are like an interview. Well, why are your garments red like those of one treading the wine press? Is this the blood of the cross? No, that's not in the text. Well, here's what, what it is. I have trotted the wine press alone. Not only did he work salvation alone, he had to bring judgment alone. I have trotted the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. Look at this mess. I had to bring judgment. My garments are all stained with blood from crushing the nations. It's like, I have to clean this up. That, that's the Lord coming back. 
Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And it's been in his heart since the beginning. He's just waiting. And the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me and my own wrath sustained me. In other words, there was no one that could bring salvation to the the world and no one that could bring wrath on the world. Thus, now you go to the seals, open up the seals, and only the lamb could bring about bring it up to the end times is he's the only one word that can bring salvation and bring this whole thing to end. If it wasn't for the lamb, if it wasn't for the Lord, there would be no salvation. Mankind would just burn out being under God's anger. And if it wasn't for the Lord, there'd never be justice brought to the world. Only the Lord, mankind, no nation can do it. So he's the only one that can do it. I trampled the nations in my anger, in my wrath. I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. That's really not politically correct, but uh, that's what he's doing. Now again, notice who's doing that. Our feet are fit with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We present the message of peace. We do not do this. This is the work of the Lord who's bringing that judgment. Then he goes on, verse 7, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. The word kindness is the word of seed, means the covenant love, the deeds for which he is to be praised. Uh, Oh, oh, beginning in verse 10, there's a bunch of Old Testament accounting, a bunch of Old Testament stories there that they they failed and and nothing's working out, but he kept giving them the power, giving them the spirit, things didn't work out. In verse chapter 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble. They're asking God to come. Uh, since Verse 4, since ancient times no one has heard, no one has perceived. Verse 5, you come to help those who, are, uh, who gladly do right and remember your ways, but when they continued to sin against them, you were angry. Uh, verse 65, chapter 65, I here's, I review. Now again, we go back to the name, that's Israel. That's, chapter 64 is a little about Israel's history. Chapter 65, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. That's the nations. I was found by those who did not seek me. That's the nations. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am. Or here am I, here I am. All day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people. All day long, I've held out my hands to Israel. They've rejected it, who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own righteousness. But now he's going to reach out to the nations. This is Paul builds on this. The nations are called. Uh, Verse 13 gets good. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out for joy in their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. It goes through, talks about that right there. You know, there's those that they thought were going to have the party, don't get the party, and those that did not know are going to receive the party. Jesus told parables about that. Then we have in verse 17, Behold, I will create, and here's some verses, I will create, a new heavens or create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, this is what's in our future. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. Now, is this a different Jerusalem somewhere else, or is this just a new condition on earth? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I could go both ways. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives only a few days. Now we're getting some things as far as millennial information that I should take time to read. But right there, verses 20 down through 25, there you got the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will lie down. It's talking about the whole climate has changed, the whole condition. But for me, it just seems like it's an earthly thing where this earth is going to continue but things are going to be, is it just for a thousand years that things are turned around, the curse is removed, and everything is restored? And then after a thousand years, it disappears? Or is this new heaven, new earth? Is that the millennium that continues not just a thousand years, but forever? Again, chapter 66, uh, this is what the Lord says Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Gives the impression heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. He's just going to bring heaven to earth. He'll still be in heaven, but he's going to have his feet on the earth, which again would mean earth's eternal. Uh, the reason I'm pointing that out is I never used to think that. Now I'm considering it, so I may be wrong. Where is the, the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So they come and so they came to being. This is the one I esteem. Okay, it goes on, talks there some more. We could read some more. And then we come up to the last verses we read right there, verse uh, 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. 
all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breast. You will drink deeply and delight in the overflowing abundance. It's talking about Jerusalem and what's going on in Jerusalem. The whole, all the nations will be gleaning from them and growing from them. Uh, again, it looks like Jerusalem. Verse 14. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. See, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots and like a whirlwind, bringing his anger. There's all that. And then we go to the verses we, we uh, read at the beginning. Uh, verse 18. And I, because of their actions and their imaginations, am about to come and gather all nations and tongues and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and will send some of those who survive, here's that verse, survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, to the Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal, to Greece, to the distant islands I have not heard of, that have not heard of my fame. The distant islands would be the Western world. In other words, when this all is set up, they're going to get on ships and go around the world and tell everybody about what's going on in Jerusalem. And again, all the nations are going to come uh, in fact, in verse 20, and they will bring all your brothers from all the nations. Again, is that bringing Israelites or even the Gentiles to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and wagons and mules and camels, says Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings. They're in other words, bringing people like offerings, not for sacrifice, but as we brought some more and more people have heard of your glory. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says Lord, as the new heavens and the new earth I have made will endure before me, declares Lord. So will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another. And then it goes on. We end it with, like we started with. This is going to last forever. But meanwhile, over here on this side of the city, you can see you go outside and look at the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched. And they'll be loathsome to all mankind because the whole world is saying, we found the truth, and they're rejoicing in the truth, growing in the truth, just becoming, you know, individuals are becoming nations. Their nations are growing. And meanwhile, these are the people that have their own ideas and rebelled against God throughout history, even rejecting the Savior that worked salvation for himself. So that is, again, rushing through Isaiah, some of the eschatological verses. And again, we should see patterns. As we go through the other prophets, we should see patterns that build on this and connect that. Again, there's a lot being said there. We covered 11 chapters, and uh, I was rushing. So... Any, anybody got a comment that says, wait, 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 and no one wants, that's that kid that gets beat up after class for keeping class longer. But I will pray, shut everything off, and if you've got something I, I missed or some insight that you got, and understand, there's got to be volumes of insight. You know, you say, wait, wait, and if you've got more verses, things are just connecting as you get more of these things put together. And I haven't explained it correctly, or not correctly, I haven't com- explained it, maybe not correctly, but completely and there's going to be other things that just keep coming. I think the more you look at this, the more it comes together. It's revelation. And you, can you see it cycling through? I mean, like repeating itself, seems like. And so every time it repeats, you catch something else, and it fits like a puzzle. So I'll pray, and then we're done. Father, we do thank you for your truth. We thank you for revealing these things to us. We thank you for your consistency. And that's that we may have a grasp on it, that we may find hope and strength to live a life that is worthy of your calling at this time in history, in this age. We do thank you so much for the power we have in the spirit and with the word to overcome the world and the sin nature. We ask you to continue to help us grow and develop in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.